covering a series now, this is our seventh week, on the windows of heaven, stemming from the prophet Malachi, who explicitly stated that God opens up the windows of heaven and he will pour out his blessings to such degree that we will have difficulty managing everything God sends our way. The radical idea that God has portals, that God will open up windows, what does that mean? That there is a God, a mighty God, who is committed to seeing us see the best, not only in ourselves, but for those around us. This concept of John 10, 10, abundant life. There are windows in heaven, ladies and gentlemen. Windows that open up. Heaven can touch earth. There are portions. We have access to everything that's in heaven. Jesus prayed, thine kingdom come, thine will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So if Jesus believed that we can bring down heaven to earth, I mean, we can do this. It's accessible through the vicarious atoning work of Jesus. The windows of heaven. So we have biblically, exegetically extrapolated from scripture narratives regarding this idea of a window where, where it was actually a critical portion of the story. Last week we began David's wife, Michal's window, and it's right here. We're going to finish off today this portion. Next Sunday will be the final sermon on the window series. But this, this David, David was a king, king in Israel, the most famous king. You all know him as the guy who knocked down Goliath. If you don't, there was a giant named Goliath. And David, as a, more as a teenager, knocked him down. Inevitably, he became king, anointed to be king. But he's the one that conquered the city called Jerusalem. Much of Israel today is due in large part to the reality of David's amazing leadership. He also had some sidebar issues, by the way. He had issues with rooftop bars, Victoria's Secret models, skinny dipping. I mean, a bunch of stuff. That it would be, it would, it would, it's like, it takes Game, Game of Thrones would be rated G compared to stuff that David saw and participated in. But the Lord had mercy upon him. He did indeed. And, and it speaks to God's mercy. But the, he's married to this woman. This guy named David is married to a woman who in the beginning was pro-David. Something happened to her. We don't know what took place. But on, on a very important day, arguably one of the most important days in the history of Israel, the glory of God, the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, this was the most sacred thing on planet earth prior to Jesus arriving. This was it. Because it was God's treasure chest. It was the glory of God in a box. And this glory of God, the holiest thing on planet earth, this thing was being moved for the first time to the city of David. For our purposes, Jerusalem. Even though the city of David is right here in the outskirts of the city walls. So it's city of David, Jerusalem. This thing is coming to Jerusalem. It's coming in. And David goes crazy. David starts to dance. Now, I need to put this in perspective. David, he dances in such an outrageous way. And he's the king. He loses decorum. L let me show you the verse. This is first, this is Second Samuel chapter 6. As the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, the daughter of Saul looked down, she looked down from her window. So she was looking down from her window and she was criticizing David, the way he danced. And she looked down when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord. She was filled with contempt for him. This is David's, so she tells him, you look foolish, man. You look, you're making a fool out of yourself. And by the way, the clothes you're wearing now, because David took off his royal robe. So he took off his royal robe and put on a linen ephod. So he looked more like this all the way through, and it was a little bit more transparent. So she says, you're, you're exposing yourselves, you little perv. 
I'm not making this up. Like the Hebrew exeget, she basically tries to like degrade him and call him names. You're exposing him. Look, the girls are going to look at you. You're a sick man, dude. You're sick, right? But it's actually the priestly garb. This is what priests would wear when they would be in the presence of God. So he's wearing the garb that the priests would wear. But so she says, you're making, and this is his epic response. She's telling him, you look foolish. He says, yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this. Even to be humiliated in my own eyes. So he begins to dance even more crazier. The, the, the title of the message today is, So You Think You Can Dance. And the subtitle is, Be Real. To be, to be real. No, not that version. It's, it's to be real. Anybody who's like over 40 got that? Anyone under 30 went like, what did he just sing? That was the jam back then, though, right? To be real. All right, all right, stop it, stop it, stop it, stop it. Okay, okay. It begins with this. The first point of the message is this. The window is for those that are willing to be real. The window is for those that are willing to be real. I want you to hear this. We live in a world of fake. We live in a world full of facades. We live, we live in a world full of imagery and projections and deflection. We live in a world full of optics that are, that are massaged and managed for the purpose of achieving a temporal goal. But if you look underneath, if you look deep in, you find something completely different. And so we do live in a world of perpetual dichotomies where there is not transparency. We need more transparency. We need more authenticity. And we, need, we need that. We need that to be. The window is for those that are willing to be real. What does this mean? It means you need to become who you already are. You need to become who you already are. Yeah, because believe it or not, in Christ, you're already defined. You're already something in Jesus. You need to become who he already has dictated, designed you to be. He already made you to be something. You need to become who you already are in Christ. And, and, but this is it. It begins. There are three different occasions where David, what he wore, defined the narrative on three different occasions. So you need to be real. It begins with this. The first occasion that what he wore defined his narrative. David is a young man. There's a, there's a giant named Goliath. So this is 1 Samuel chapter 17. He's about to fight this giant named Goliath because everybody else was intimidated. So the shepherd boy who was a worshiping boy who would play the harp and the demons would flee, this guy knew God. So he wasn't intimidated by some mocking giant intimidating the children of God. So King Saul, he's not even king. He's a young man. He's approximately anywhere between 17 and 21 years of age. He's a young man. He's about to fight. And all of a sudden, the king of Israel, King Saul, he sees this boy that, you know, is not, everyone else is a, what a, yeah, this has to be a movie in a 21st century context. Everyone else is freaking out. David comes out and says, I'm not afraid of you. And he's looking at the giant. The giant is intimidating the children of God. He's not afraid of him. So he, this is what happens. King Saul says, aha, I like you. So you want to go for it first, right? Uh-huh, okay. Let me put on you my armor. So King Saul takes his armor and places it upon this young man. He places his armor upon him. But watch this. So David, walk with me for a second here, David. David starts walking, but the, but the armor was so heavy, and everything was so heavy on him that, let's just read it. 
Then Saul gave David his own armor, a bronze helmet, a coat of mail. David put it on, strapped a sword over it, and took a step or two to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go in these, he protested, so I'm not used to them. So David took them off again. He took them off. There was an attempt. But here it is. Here it is. To be real, the first thing you need to do is to take off what other people have placed on you. You got to take off what people have placed on you. The reason why life is heavy, the reason why you can't confront the Goliaths that rise against you is because you're wearing Saul's armor. You're walking around with things that people have placed on you. By the way, not everyone with bad intentions. Saul didn't do it with bad intentions. He had good intentions. Put this on, man. Fight him. But it wasn't his thing. You got to stop carrying somebody else's thing. You can't defeat the giants in your life with someone else's experiences. You can't defeat the giant in your life with someone else's anointing. You can't defeat the giants in your life with someone else's praise. Let me put it simple. You can't bring those walls down with somebody else's shout. Are you with me right now? You gotta find your own. Today needs to be the day you take Saul's armor off you. I don't care if your daddy put the armor on you or your mama put the armor on you. I don't care if it's family or cultural or it's ideological. You need to remove it off you. Why? You don't need Saul's armor. You have the anointing of the Spirit of God that is yours that came about through your experiences. Are you getting this right now? I dare you to say, get it off me. Tell your neighbor, tell him, get it off me. You will be held down, bogged down, carrying somebody else's stuff. And, and, and listen, false expectations. Some people even put expectations on you that you never put upon yourself. I expect you to be this. I expect you to do this. I expect you to accomplish this. But is that what God expects from you? And you're living with these false expectations and you're living with something that you never, ever, ever were created for. So you're boggled down and you're held down and you're carried. And then all of a sudden giants rise up and you can't even take two steps to confront the giants. I'm here to tell you, you don't need Saul's armor. Saul's armor is man's attempt to compensate for the lack of divine favor. The man removed the armor. Why? Because he was already anointed. No, you missed it. By the time he fought Goliath, Samuel had already put the oil on top of him. I know you missed that. Where's, where's the oil? Somebody get me some oil. Give me some old school, nice, great A olive oil. They put, some, they put some oil on him beforehand. He was anointed. When you're anointed, you don't need man's armor. You're, 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 when, this is more powerful than this. This, what it symbolizes. It's more powerful than this. This is the strategy of man. This is man's mechanism, man's constructs. This is man's doing. But a touch from heaven. Is... What kind of people come to this church? Anointed people. What kind of people will be connected to this church? Anointed people. I, will, I dare you to look at every giant facing you and look at him and say, I don't need the armor, baby. I'm anointed. <laughs> you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord of the God of the armies of Israel. 
Are there any anointed people in the house here today? Get that armor off you. You got this. First John 2.20 says you have the anointing. And that anointing exposes you. It enables you to acknowledge and recognize truth. So this, this right here, hold this here. This is much more powerful than this. So he said, get this off me. This is, this is critical. I just want you to do not permit people to put their armor on you. Do not permit people, even with good, some people, of course, not good expectations. Some people just lay the stuff that they carried from their parents and their parents' parents. They transferred from one generation to another, and they put their baggage on you. Because, you know, misery what? Uh-huh. And wounded people bleed on others. Share the pain. And what you want to do, what you want to do is just say, no, hold on a second. No, I have something, First John 2.20, I have something in me that's greater than anything you can place on me. Amen. So the first thing he did is, to, the window is for those that are real. The real you is the anointed you. Amen. Not the falsely armored you, but the anointed you. And I want everybody to give me your undivided attention right here. You are anointed. If, you are, if you're born again, raise your hand. If you've been washed with the blood of Jesus and you've been forgiven and you have received everything Jesus did for you, raise both hands. I want you to know that this is not, this is crazy. You're anointed. No, 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 no. You're going, yes. No, 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 no. David knocked down a giant with his exterior anointing. First John 2.20 doesn't say you are externally anointed. John, full of the Holy Spirit, says the anointing lives inside of you. You have a greater anointing than what David had in the old covenant under the law. You have a greater anointing under grace, which means no giant can stand before you. No devil can stand in your way. No demon can obstruct your path. This should put a smile on your face. You're not just anyone. What are you? If I ask you right now, what are you going to say? What are you? I'm African-American. I'm Caucasian. I'm Mexican. I'm Puerto Rican. I'm Dominican. I'm Cuban. I'm from Stockton. I'm from Lodi. I'm confused. What are you? I'm Republican. I'm Democrat. I'm a Raider. God forgive you. I'm a 49er fan. What are you? I'm a, no, no, no. Your number one answer should be, what are you? I'm anointed. We need more anointed people. This nation is divided by names and nomenclatures. We just need the church to say, I am anointed. We are anointed above all. Everything else follows the fact that we are children of God who are anointed. Everything else is beautiful, but it follows. So that's you take off the Saul's armor. So this is, but then David also appears when he was anointed finally as king in his fullness by the different, actually three different times. He, then he puts on his, this is a 21st century bougie looking... My man, this is, this is King Drip. <laughs> My brother. My brother. She's so smooth, man. He, David puts on his royal robe. So he's, he's king. So people were used to, people were like Queen, Queen Elizabeth. When she would go in a royal ceremony or in a ceremony outside the confines of Buckingham Palace, you would wear your royal garb. So people were used to seeing him outside like this because you're the king. You got to exert authority. You're king. This, is, this means authority because kings dictate and they have authority. 
and they have the final word. That's what kings do. But when the glory of God came into Jerusalem, you know what he did? He took this off. That's what God are really upset. He, he took this off and put on a linen ephod. He took, he, he became a priest. That's what got her all messed up. She's going, no, you're a king. If people see you with this thing, they're not going to respect you because you're a king and a king has to dress like a king and look like a king. And now you're wearing this like a priest. They don't need a priest. They need a king. So, the, you know, so David says, no, David says, I'm both a king and a priest. In reality, try to find David's Levitical lineage to try to convince you that he was a priest. Because he just got away with stuff, man. He ate the showbread in 1 Samuel 21 when he was supposed to eat the showbread. God should have killed him, but he didn't. Somehow he thought that because, you know what he thought? He thought that because he had a personal relationship with God and he was a worshiper and he knew God and he would worship him constantly and he would pray to him and even when he would mess up and after he would receive a prophetic word, he would, he would repent and he thinks that because he repented and he worshiped and he knew God and he spoke to God that somehow he was able to do what others could not do and he thought he thought he could do that, right? He thought that he was special because he talked to God and repented of his sins and worshiped God and he didn't care what man said about him or wrote about him or posted about him he thought that his personal relationship with God was the most important thing in the world therefore God would favor him and God would open doors for him and God would let him do things that other people could not do because he was favored by God that's what he thought and he was completely right because if you pray because if you depend on God and if you go to God when you're broken and if you worship God in spirit and in truth, then God will give you, Genesis chapter 6, 8, he'll grant you unprecedented favor. So he took off his royal robe and he put on the linen ephod. But here's the question. What are we? Are we kings or are we priests? What are we? Let me tell you what 1 Peter 2.9 says. 1 Peter 2.9. Ladies and gentlemen, you are God's chosen treasure. You are priests who are kings. He's talking to you, by the way. No, he's talking to you. That's you. That's us. You are a spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience a marvelous light. But here it is. You are God's chosen treasure. We are priests who are kings. We are priests and kings. We are priests. We are a royal priesthood. We are, we are exactly what David was, but on steroids. We no longer, we are anointed. We are kings and we are priests. We are this right now. I wish you would get this for a second. I need you to understand. A king has authority. A king has power. A king walks with his head high. You never see a king walk with his head down. You see a king walk with his head high. We, 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 you can't be a king on Sunday and be a slave Monday through Saturday. You can't. You can't be a king on Sunday and be a victim Monday through Saturday. You can't be saying God is a poor, powerful Sunday and then woe is me Monday through Saturday. Are there any kings in the house? We need some kings and queens to rise up. No, we haven't. No, the king has authority. You have authority. I said you have authority. You have authority. You have authority. You have authority in the name of Jesus. You have authority with the word of Jesus. And you have authority through the blood of Jesus. We need the kings to rise up. In every mountain, we need the kings to rise up. In every sphere of society, we need the kings to rise up. We need some kings and queens that are committed to Jesus to rise up and exert that authority with truth and with love.
kings and priests. You are not a victim. You are not a slave. You're not second class anything. You're a king. You're a queen. You are a royal priesthood. You have spiritual authority. Don't drink the Kool-Aid of perpetual victimization. Don't drink the Kool-Aid of someone somehow subjugating you to a secondhand status. Don't do it. Don't do it. You're a child of God. You are a child of God. Now, now walk like a king. Talk like a king. Pray like a king. Worship like a king. Act like a king. Decree like a king. Exert authority with truth and with love like a king. This is the power. This, the way Pastor E walks, that swag, show him the swag. around anywhere you're gonna look around I don't care who you are you're gonna look at that guy got swag or, or at least you're gonna say he's confident right because he's not walking around like this he's walking around like I'm confident I need you to walk around like you know that you know that you know that greater is he that is in you that you know that you know that you know that if God before you who can be against you that you know that you know that you know that the Lord is your rock and your shield are you with me right now that you're not serving just any God. You're serving the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the host of hosts and the Prince of peace. We got to wrap up. We got to finish. Why would he take off his royal robe? Why couldn't he dance with the royal robe, man? Why couldn't he dance with his royal robe on? Why did he have to put on the priestly robe? Why couldn't he dance with the royal robe? Why? Let me show you. Let me biblically substantiate the following proof. David knew what that represented. Oh yeah. He knew that the glory of God amplified, exemplified, exhibited the glory of the king. In other words, God is king. Now I have to biblically prove it here. We're, we know we're, we're, we're a Bible-based church. So it can't be, it can't be, it can't be hyped. And rhetoric, it has to be biblically substantiated. How can I prove to you that David knew that? So David basically says, I know God is king. When the glory of God is coming to Jerusalem, that's the sovereignty and the royalty coming into town. Therefore, I'm a king, but that's the king above the king. So there can't be two kings occupying the same kingdom. So when the king comes in, I'm going to be a priest. There's only one king. When, it, when he's in town, I bow down. Hey, hey. If you can worship before God, you can stand before men. Are you with me right now? Am I preaching to anybody? If you can bow before God, you can stand before men. If you can bow before God, you can stand before men. If you can bow before God, you can stand before men. You gotta be a worshiper before you are a warrior. You have to be a priest before you are a king. Substantiation, Mr. Preacher, man who speaks really fast. Where is it? I'll give it to you. Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Who is this king of glory? Who is the king of glory? Who is the king of glory? The Lord. 
now. Let the king of glory, the glory, he knew that was the glory. Let the, he knew that was the glory. The glory coming into Jerusalem, the gates of Jerusalem. And let the king of glory enter. Who? But who is, you're asking me who's the king of glory? The Lord. Strong and mighty. The Lord. Invincible in battle. Hey, hey, hey. I'm about to preach now. Open up ancient gates. Open up ancient doors. And let the king of glory enter. Woo-hoo. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of heaven's armies. He is the king of glory. Ladies and gentlemen, King Jesus is the king of glory. King Jesus is the king of glory. When the king is in town, we are priests offering sacrifice of praise and worship. Lift up your hands, repeat after me. All hail King Jesus. Say it like you believe it. Say, all hail King Jesus. So I declare that Jesus is king. Jesus is king over every family here, over every city, over every circumstance. I even have the audacity to declare that Christ is king over California. He's king over America. He's king over New Zealand. He's king over Latin America. He's king over Africa. He's king over Asia. By the way, he's king over your children and your children's children and your children's 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 children. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm not making this up. God is on the throne. Jesus at the right hand of the Father on the throne. He is the King of glory. Somebody give that King worship and praise like he's the King, like he's worthy of your praise and your worship. He is the King of glory. So David, in essence, David is saying, not in essence, explicitly, if you're the King, and I'm a king I'm going to show everyone that when you're the king you have the final word so I'm going to worship you like a priest I'm going to serve you because if I can worship you if I can bow before you I can stand before men what because an authentic worshiper equals an anointed king Because worship exposes the real you. Praise exposes the real you. I wish you would get that. Oh, Pastor Sam, that's a matter of polity and denominational streams or theological worldviews because there are churches that don't get as emotionally excited about their worship motif. And no, you need to be you. You need to be be you. You don't have to, like, if that person, there are people here that will lift up their hands. There are some that will keep their hands in their pocket. And one is not better than the other. Because your experiences define you. Be you. Be, become who you already are. But, 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 there's a caveat. Because this linear sequential way of thinking, the window is for those, the window is for the real you. The real you is an anointed you. The real you is a royal you. The real you is a priestly you who is offering Hebrews 13, 15. Continual sacrifices of praise with your lips. That's the real you. One more time. The real you is an anointed you, a royal you, and a priestly you. Raise your right hand. Repeat after me. The real me. Anointed. Royal. Priestly. Continuously. Offering sacrifices of praise.
This is the one that bows before God. This is the one that stands before men. This is the one that fights the adversary and the giants. That's who you are. Sometimes you're fighting. Sometimes you're just standing and having authority, exerting authority by your very presence. And sometimes you're just worshiping. That's you. These are your three modes, your modalities right here. Are you getting this right now? I'm done. I'm going to land this. I'm going to land. I'm going to land this right now. I want you to I want you to, David, dance with this. Can you dance? Just asking. I'm not. Search, this is not scripted. This is not like planned. I'm, he's giving me the look. Um, it's my younger brother, if you don't know who he is. Why? Right? says. Can you? No, no, no. No. But have you ever danced before? Because David, the Bible says David danced with all his might. He danced with everything he got. So when you worship God, don't give him a half-hearted worship. Don't give him a half-baked worship. If you're going to praise him, praise him like you mean it. Praise him like he did something for you. Praise him like he set you free. Every time you praise, you should praise him like he delivered you. Praise him like he saved you. Praise him like he healed you. Praise him like his blood forgave you of all your sins. Praise him like the addiction bondage was broken. Praise him like your life will never be the same again. Praise him like your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Praise him like the gates of hell will never prevail against you. Praise him. You got to go unhinged. You have to be uncensored. Praise him with all your might. All your might. All your might. So are you going to do this or what? What? Because he did. Look, he danced so crazy that the woman, his wife, his wife said, you're crazy. Look up here for a second. Let me reiterate. The window was for those that overcome the criticism. Do not judge somebody else's worship. Don't judge somebody else's praise. If the person next to you is a bit more vociferous than you are, don't judge them. You could say they're crazy, they're on meds, or they need to be on meds. You don't know what they went through. You don't know what they overcame. You don't know the, the abuse they had to overcome. You don't know the scars. You don't know the days they had to shake off. You don't know. You don't know every single time the devil tried to take them out and somehow they're here right now. So don't judge them. If you don't understand them, don't judge them. Let them pray. Let them be who they are. Let them praise the way they praise. Let them worship the way they worship. someone else's worship do not judge somebody else's praise you don't have to be them but don't criticize them for being who they are all right I, I still may have you dance it's a I want to read to you this I'm done here. I'm, I'm going to read to you this text. I got this text from one of our pastors. I'm not going to mention the name. Just for, the person is a mind that we mentioned the name. Just for my ethical purposes, the way that we run things. We have five campuses, as you know. It's one of the pastors of one of our campuses, one of our major ministries. Very beautiful people. Matter of fact, you would, you would probably recognize them. This is 
the text we got. Thursday. This is written to Pastor Ava. Hi, Pastor. This is blank. I just want you to know that God showed up today. See, this person, his wife, they're both pastors here on, on staff. His wife was diagnosed with cancer. So on Thursday, she went to surgery, right, to remove it. And here it is. My wife is doing great, and she's out of surgery. FYI, the doctors said they could not find one trace of cancer. So would anybody here get upset if that man would be dancing like a man-man in this house? Would anybody get Ladies and gentlemen, your praise is your testimony. Your worship is your testimony. Your praise says, look what the Lord has done. His praise said, his praise said, I fought the bear and the lion. I defeated them. There was a giant named Goliath, but I knocked them down. They tried to kill me 14 times, and hell missed. Your praise says, look what the Lord has done. Stand with me, stand with me. You, those that are not standing, we're done. Here, here's the other part he wrote. They can't find any trace of it. And, and, and here it is. Well, I'm, I'm reading verbatim. Verbatim. They are trying to figure out what happened to it. He puts an emoji. You know the emoji like this? Like He puts the emoji... And says, they seemed very confused. So he said, I told them what happened. I said, God happened. There is power in the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. That's why. Some of us praise the way we praise. You thought it was some sort of ethnocultural contextualization. He said, no, there's certain, certain communities praise a certain way because it's part of their culture. Uh, your praise is your 23 and me. Your praise tells heaven and hell where you come from. Again, it doesn't mean everyone's a yalla. I like the balance. Some people are, they, there are some people, my dad, my dad, I have never seen my dad, so help me God, I have never seen my dad get excited in any service. My dad, Samuel Rodriguez's dad, Raised in church his entire life. Never seen the man. I don't think I've ever heard him shout hallelujah. So help me God. But I've seen the man in services. Just like this. Just like. And his eyes. Just a little tear here. That little tear from a strong man like my dad. That's equal to 1,000 shouts at decibel levels. My point to you is be who you are. Don't be someone else, but don't be judgmental regarding someone else's expression of faith.
Are you with me right now? The window is for those that are real and keep it real. The window is for those that overcome criticism. He said, I'm going to be more foolish. Ah, David. And the window is for those that bear his name. That same narrative says that the glory of God, he knew the glory of God bared the name of the living God. So David was worshiping because he knew that this glory was under the canopy of the name of the Lord Jehovah of Israel. The window is for those that bear his name. We are people of the cross. We are people of the cross. That's who we are. We are Philippians 2 people. We know there is a name above every other name. That's the name of Jesus. There's a window. Make sure this is your window of celebration and commendation and not a window of criticism. Make sure when you look at the window at someone else, instead of criticizing them, I'm going to tell you what she should have done. I'm out enjoying you, boy. That's what she should have done. She should have said, hey, I'm with you. I'm going to dance with you. I'm going to praise with you. I'm going to just, that's what we do. Take off the armor. Take off the stuff people have placed on you. You are a king and a priest, but you're a priest first. I'm not, that's not my, my words. First Peter 2 9 says, We are priests who are kings. We begin, our default is priests. We're worshipers first and foremost. So don't try to exert authority if you've never worshiped. If you've never humbled yourself in the presence of God, do not try to tell man what to do. Matter of fact, if you've never submitted to the will of heaven, don't you dare to try to hell, tell, tell hell what to do. You can't. Your submission precedes your authority. I hope you're getting this today. Close your eyes for a second here. A little bit more than a second, but close your eyes. Holy Spirit, in this auditorium and listening around the world right now, there are people who are walking with the baggage of somebody else's armor. Lord, some of us have carried things that have been placed upon us that do not necessarily line up with your purpose or destiny for our corresponding lives. I ask you right now, God, I know you're powerful. I've seen you show up. I'm asking you right now to supernaturally, can you help us take off Saul's armor? Lord, some, some of us have tried to take it off, but it's so wired in that sometimes we think it's part of our skin. Sometimes we think that if we take this thing off, we're ripping something off from us. Lord, I'm asking you to operate right now and remove Saul's armor. Things that have been placed on us, from our family members, from our actions, from our previous experiences and relationships, from people around us, even ourselves. We've placed something on ourselves that should never have been on us. Lord, we're asking you right now to remove it. Remove the thoughts, the habits, the attitude. Remove, right, dear God, the, the, any action, any, any sin, any inhibition, any fear, any anxiety. Remove from us whatever is on us that's holding us down. Remove Saul's armor and expose the fullness of your anointing. I want to be real today. We want to be transparent and authentic. God, we receive our royal priesthood. That anointing, 
We received, dear God, the armor of God, Ephesians chapter 6, the anointing of God, 1 John 2.20, that continual praise, Hebrews 13.15. We receive it right now by the authority of your name. And Lord, we promise you we will bow before you so we can stand before men and the powers of darkness to share truth with love and unleash the glory and the grace of the work of Christ. We believe it all and believe it right now for us and our families. Dear God, we will become who we already are in Christ. In Jesus' name, if you believe that prayer, give God the best amen shout you've given him today.